For a long time, we talked about going through the book of James. And for whatever reason, James just kept getting bumped back in the queue for another book. And today is the day we arrive at studying James together. So seriously, for a year or so, we've thought about studying James. And I think it's now time for us to dive into this book. So we are actually going to start a book study through the book of James. And we'll go slow and methodically through that book. But uh, it's going to be a great study. And uh, we have a theme through that series, and it's called, it's right there on the screen, it's called Growing Up for God, Practical Lessons in Spiritual Maturity. Growing Up for God, Practical Lessons in Spiritual Maturity. Because that's what James is about, is becoming mature in Christ. And so we're going to study that today here in a little bit. Our lesson title today, as you may have seen, is called A Journey of Testing. A Journey of Testing. Did you ever have days full of things that annoy you? Come on, don't you hate that when things just annoy you? Everyone wants the ideal day, and I think you wake up thinking every day is going to be ideal. Everything's going to go well. And then when it doesn't, you're throwing a curveball, and you're not sure how to react to that. Well, I just want to share with you a day the other day that I had one of those days where things just annoyed me. Okay, I woke up out of my bed, and I was tangled in the blankets. <laughs> that annoyed me. It took me like several tries to get out of those blankets and get out of my bed. I was already annoyed getting out of bed. That's not a good start to the day. You ever been there tangled in, this, tangled in the blankets? Never been there? Okay, just alone. I went to brush my teeth, and you never had this happen. You got a little bit of toothpaste on your shirt. That annoyed me, because now the shirt's ruined. You ever try to clean it off, and you think, oh, I'll just clean it off and go about my day? You can't. It's like stained. And so I had to change my shirt. So I got tangled in the blankets. I got toothpaste on my shirt. I was taking a shower, and I went to grab the soap, and I couldn't get it. You know, the bar of soap is slippery, and it took me like five tries to get it. Now, that annoyed me. I was annoyed in the shower. So this day was not going well. Uh, I finally got in my car and was headed to work, and I noticed that someone had adjusted the seats and the air conditioning vents. Usually they're perfect, and they're exactly where I want them, and now they weren't. And I was greatly annoyed by that. You guys are not laughing. Like, wow, this guy is... Take a chill pill, man. You should know by now. There's a little bit of humor here. I'm, I'm, not, being, I'm not being literal here. But I got in the car, and the seats, weren't, the seats were adjusted. The air conditioning vents were not hitting me in the face, and I was annoyed by that. What's that? Titus. Was Titus. At least if you get out of the car, Titus, put the seats back where they were. <laughs> Titus is six years old, so that's, that's why that's funny. Uh, on the way to work, I hit every red light. You guys ever been there, right? Every red light. I stopped at every red light. In fact, one of the lights, it was red, but right when I stopped, it turned green. You ever have that happen to you? Right as you stop, it turned green, and that annoyed me. I didn't like that. Yeah, I was annoyed. And, uh, and then I got stuck behind one of these big construction vehicles. You ever go, get that, where they go like five miles under the speed limit? And uh, that annoyed me, because I wanted to go five miles over the speed limit. And so I was just frustrated the whole time. So I finally get to work, and I'm like, okay, I'm here at work. Things should be better. And the parking lot was full. And I have a parking spot. I don't have a parking spot, but I always park in the same place. And the parking lot was full. I had to park over by the dumpster. <sighs> I, that's annoying. That's incredibly annoying. I got into work. I was checking my emails. And my email, my first email in my inbox was from a scammer in Pakistan. And that annoyed me. And uh, although most of these things are jokes today, actually, when I got here to the church building, I had an email. My little light was blinking. And uh, it was a scammer. I don't know if it was from Pakistan, but it was a scammer. The, the lady told me that if, if she sends her $4.3 million to my bank account so she can get into the country, when I get here, she'll, she'll give me 20% of that $4.3 million. Guys, we're about to be rich. <laughs> I'm going to give a huge chunk of that to the church, so you guys just wait. It's coming. It's going to be fantastic. It's a scam, obviously. Don't fall for those. These are jokes. I've had days similar to that, but this is a joke. I, I just want to, I want to set this up today by saying that life isn't always ideal according to our standards, is it? And sometimes that frustrates us. And uh, today we're going to look at something that I think maybe you look at the book of James, you kind of want to breeze through that first chapter because it's a little bit hard and annoying maybe. But I think it's going to be good today. I really do. I think this is going to be a proper perspective today as we talk about a journey of testing. If you have your Bibles and you're not there yet, go to James chapter 1, and we're going to read the first 12 verses. It will also be on the screen. James 1, 1 to 12. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with, with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Amen. That's where we're headed today. We're going to talk about trials, or we're going to call it a journey of testing. We have to wrestle with a pretty hard truth today, okay? Our first lesson, our first lesson on spiritual maturity, it's a tough one. James gets us right into the deep end. And we have to talk about trials today. Trials, right? Who brought the party favors and the balloons? We're talking about trials today. Anybody happy? Trials are difficult, aren't they? It's a difficult topic. I'm going to be honest, it's not on a pastor's wish list of things to preach on. Trials are not one of those things I go looking for. And James, like I said before, has come up as a potential book that we should consider studying as a church, but I knew what topics were going to come up. And it's almost like we had to wait for the proper time, led by the Holy Spirit, because this book is about as straightforward as any book in the Bible, maybe except 1 John. But James is very, very good. If you've ever studied James before, it's very good, isn't it? It's one of the most practical books in the entire Bible. But James, if we're honest, is like that food item on your plate that looks a little questionable. You know, you ever get one of those food items? And you guys ever eaten calamari? Anyone's ever eaten calamari? Yeah, don't do that anymore. I'm just teasing. I hated calamari. It looked all good and stuff, and then I bit into it, and it was all rubbery and gross. Or do you ever have the other way, though? You, you look at an item, and, and, and it looks questionable, but then you taste it, and it's good, right? And what they say, you can't judge a book by its cover. Sometimes you can't judge food by its appearance either. James is kind of like that, if I'm honest. You take a bite out of James and you go, well, actually, that's not too bad. I was, I was expecting something different, and that's really good. And gradually, it becomes one of your favorite books. And uh, sometimes I come to James and I go, nah, I don't know, I'm good. I don't really want to study James right now. And then, I, and then I get into James. And I go, wow, I didn't expect to like this. But James is really good. In fact, it's one of my favorite books in the Bible because of how good it is. In fact, I think Lisa, isn't James one of your favorite books or your favorite book? Your favorite book? Well, there you go. Lisa's happy, at least. So blame Lisa. If this doesn't go well, let's blame Lisa. She's the one that planted this in my mind. I'm just teasing. I don't know James personally, of course, but his approach is pretty different than the Apostle Paul's, isn't it? Apostle Paul, when he starts a book, has his long greeting. He tells you who he's writing to, and, you know, he has this long, drawn-out greeting and blessings and grace to you. And not James. James gives you a very brief greeting, and he gets right into what he needs to say. And I'm guessing James was a man of few words. Here's what I need to say. Here's what they need to hear. Let's get at it. But James has some of the most classic passages in all of the scripture found in this little book. In fact, the book of James is like 100, 100 billboard Christian albums. You guys ever seen one of those? And uh, if I was going to look at James, I would consider these some of the, some of the best Christian albums or Christian passages in all of Scripture. We're going to look about the classic being doers of the word and not hearers only. Okay, that comes from James. How about the legendary faith without works is dead? That's coming up. How about the edgy taming the tongue? Yeah, that one's edgy. And the classic headbanger ballad, friendship with the world is enmity against God. Okay, we're going to look at all of those. All of those come from the book of James, and it's going to be a really powerful study. So I want you to buckle up, okay? You need to buckle up for the book of James. James' goal here is for us to become mature in Christ. That's his goal. And otherwise, we're going to call it growing up for God, or maybe the better way to say it is growing up in God. We need to grow up. We need to mature. And James is going to help us do that. Last week, we learned that we, all need, we need all hands on deck. 
And we're going to assume that everyone is with us now, okay? Everybody is bought in, everyone is invested, and everyone is ready to do this together because maturity, again, it's going to take all of us. It's not just one person thinking, I want to become mature and I'm going to do it. Every single person is a part of our Christian maturity. So we still need everybody. And our first lesson is one of the most mature things you can talk about as a Christian, how to deal properly with trials. And if I'm honest, pastors even struggle with this one. This is a tough one. Trials on the surface seem to shake us in a way that we don't really want to admit. But we're going to use a metaphor today, okay? To open up the book of James, we're going to use a metaphor. I want you to use your imaginations with me today, okay? Use your imaginations and help me understand this metaphor because this metaphor, I think, is going to set up the book, set up the passage quite nicely. I want us to pretend today that we all need to take a journey together, okay? A journey, a long, intense hike through the woods. Anyone ever done that? Anyone ever taken a long, intense hike through the woods? Yeah, there's a few, okay. Uh, Janine and I did once in Virginia. If you've ever been to Virginia, there's a lot of hikes and trails. And we got on this trail, this hike, and it was beautiful. And we thought it was going to be this nice gingerly pace. But we started on this hike, and it it just started to climb and and elevate um, little by little. And suddenly, we found ourselves on a pretty intense hike. And it was long, and it was intense, and it was more than we ever thought we were going to do. But but at the top of this was a really glorious lookout, and it was well worth the hike. But it took us a couple hours to get to the top of this hike. And today we're going to use that as a metaphor today. We're going, to, we're going to imagine that we're taking a hike together in the woods, a really long and a really intense hike. If we make it to the end of this journey, there's going to be a glorious lookout, okay? We're going to end up in the land of joy, peace, and security that's never going to end. At the end of this hike is something incredibly glorious, and it's well worth the hike, okay? Well worth it. And if we don't make it to the end of this journey, we're going to die. Okay, that's the options. You either don't make this journey, don't finish this this journey, and you die, or you make it to the end of this journey, and it's the most glorious lookout and land you can ever imagine. But this journey is not optional for Christians, okay? This is every Christian's duty to make this journey, and we have to all get to the finish line. And as we said last week, we've got to do it together. Our eternal souls are at stake here, okay? In this journey, Lord, Lord, uh, thank the Lord, we have a helper. Okay, we have a helper. And this helper is the best helper we could ever hope for. You ever had a guide or someone take you through something like that in the woods? Someone who's been there before, someone who knows what they're doing. In this journey that we're going to use as a metaphor today, we have a helper. And this helper has one goal for each of us. To make absolutely sure that we finish this journey no matter what. That's his goal. For us to make sure that we finish our journey no matter what. The completion of this journey is of utmost importance to him. So we're all going to begin our journey here, okay? So as we begin our journey, if you've ever made a journey, you get going. As we begin our journey, wouldn't you know it, just like my beginning story, we stumble. We skin our knee right off the bat. We trip on some log. We stumble stumble over the log. We skin our knee. We get a boo-boo. And our eyes start to well up with tears. I have a lot of children. This happens. And we immediately want to go home to our mommies, okay? Right at the beginning of this journey, we skin our knee, and we want to go home. Our helper, I told you, we have a helper. Our helper is looking at this, and he's shaking his head now, and he's going, oh, boy, already. And uh, he picks us up. He dusts us off. He puts a Band-Aid on our boo-boos. But he realizes right away that we're going to need a lot of help along this journey. But... Once again, we're on our way through the hike, okay? We got our, we got our Band-Aid on. We got our boo-boo's taken care of. All of a sudden, we hear a noise, okay? We hear a noise in the woods. Anyone ever heard that noise in the woods? Yeah? We hear a noise in the woods. It's a cracking noise. Sure, it could just be a stick breaking beneath us, or it could be a huge, hungry, angry bear. And we don't know which it is between a stick or a hungry, angry bear, and we're convinced it's a bear. We are convinced it's a bear and not a stick. So we sprint back to where we came from. We find a huge tree to hide behind, and we stay there for a couple hours because we're terrified. And while we're hiding, we are now contemplating going home and never returning to this journey at all because we heard a noise, and we skinned our knee. And that's about enough for us. 
But uh, after not seeing or hearing any bear or any other noises, we decide to begin our journey all over again. Okay, we start their journey again. But this time our head is on a swivel, okay? We're making sure we look everywhere, we're hearing every noise, just in case we see anything else that's scary. But finally this time we make some real progress, okay? We make it through an entire day of hiking through the woods on this narrow pathway in the woods. We make some progress. But then the sun starts to set. Okay, it starts to become nighttime, and we start to begin to feel lonely in this path. We remember tripping over the log. We remember the noise in the woods. We start to laugh a little bit at ourselves. And while we're eating supper that night, our helper comes along, and he convinces us to remain on the journey, to not go home, because, because I said, this journey is going to be well worth the hike. So even though we have a rough and lonely first night in the woods, we endure it. We wake up in the morning, and we're ready for another trek through the woods. But based on what our helper has seen so far, he now has a dilemma. He has seen what we do when we simply fall and skin our knee. He has seen what we do when we hear a small noise in the woods. And now he's a little worried. He's a little worried we don't have the mental fortitude to continue and finish this journey. And our helper knows that if we don't finish this journey, we're going to die. And he will not let that happen to us, no matter what. Because our helper is good and our helper loves us. So our helper has to make a tough choice. Our helper knows exactly what this journey is like because he made it himself. In fact, his journey was ten times harder than ours because the only way we could find entrance into this journey and into the eternal land of joy is that our first, our helper, completed the journey himself. And he did. His victory in this journey, in this, in this race, was our chance at eternal life with him. So because he already completed the journey, our helper knows every potential pitfall along the way. He knows about the waterfall coming that we're going to have to scale. He knows about the rattlesnake that's going to block our way. He knows about the intense thunderstorm that is going to come upon us in the woods. And he knows that in the woods somewhere is a killer lurking watching us every step of the way, just waiting for a weak moment so he can pounce on us and kill us. He knows that's all in store for us, and he already saw us skin our knee and hear a noise in the woods and repent, and excuse me, retreat. So our helper's job is to get us to the end of this journey and finish in the eternal land of joy. He can either just stand by and watch as we drown in the waterfall or we get bit by the rattlesnake or we drown in the storm, or get slain by the killer. Or, our helper can do what's necessary to toughen us up so we can conquer all of these battles along the way. Those are his choices. Let us eventually fail by any one of those battles, or strengthen us so we become strong and mature and equipped to handle any kind of battle we face in this journey. So our helper comes up with a plan to help us get stronger and more determined to finish our journey. He begins sending us little versions of the trials to come. A little waterfall. A little snake. A small thunderstorm. Maybe a little killer. Whatever that looks like. So we can get tough. Okay? So we can get skilled by defeating those battles and then once we defeat those, he's going to give us even bigger ones. And then bigger ones. And then bigger versions. Until we're ready for the real battles themselves. This plan from the helper is going to make us strong. Strong enough to finish our journey so we can be with him for the rest of time. Because that's his goal, for us to finish our journey. Our helper knows that these tests are not going to make our journey comfortable. It's not going to make us happy along our journey. But our helper's goal is not our temporal happiness on the journey. His goal is our eternal life with him in the land of joy forever. Now let's look at James chapter 1. If we understand this metaphor, I think it's going to set it up quite nicely. Pastor Mel, if you can bump us over to the next input. We're going to do, if you've seen me do these before, we're going to do a sort of a virtual Bible study of James chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. Let me know when you're there, Pastor Mel, I don't want to jump ahead. 
James chapter 1. It's going to be on the screen, okay? You guys have notes with the printed off scripture that you can take notes in them yourselves or you can just watch. Is it not working? I think it's input number one we need to get to. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not working. It's working fine. There you go. There? Technology. Okay, we're there. Good. Now, this is, thank you, Pastor Mel. Does this picture stress anybody out? Yeah? Anyone stressed out by standardized tests? Um, James brings up tests. Okay, I was not a good test taker in school. I always dreaded tests. I would rather write a paper because I thought I could, you know, fake it with writing a paper. But you can't fake tests, right? You either know the content or you don't know the content. But um, tests stress us out to some level. Maybe you guys are great students and great test takers. I was not, so um, we're going to look at some tests today. So we're going to jump into James chapter 1. James chapter 1, starting in verse 1, of course. We find out right away who the author of James is. And, of course, it's James. James. Now, we're not entirely certain, okay, which James wrote this book, okay? There are a lot of people who say it is James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote this book. And actually, if you study his life a little bit, he actually didn't even believe in his own brother until the resurrection. That's interesting. So if James is the author of this book, who was the brother of Jesus, that's incredibly interesting because he's writing about following his brother and what it takes to be a mature follower of Jesus. And that's interesting to me because that was his brother. I don't know if you guys have ever had sibling rivalry, but imagine the Lord Jesus Christ being your brother. How would you live up to that standard? You know, Jesus never sins. You know, Jesus always makes his bed. I know, I know. He's the son of God. But I know. Thank you, Mom. But now James is writing this book, and a lot of people believe he's the author of this book. And I don't know entirely. I'm going to be honest. It could be one of the other James. It could be one of James. It could be James, who was the disciple, the son of Zebedee, who was one of the first followers of Jesus. But a lot of commentators believe it is James, the brother of Jesus. So we're going to assume it is. But I don't know entirely certain. But I want you to understand what he says about himself right off the bat. He says, James, a servant. A servant. I mean, if, if no matter who this is, if it's the brother of Jesus or the disciple, he could say that, right? Disciple. He could say brother. He could say friend. But he doesn't. He says servant. And I just think that's an interesting, humble way to start this book. In fact, the term is actually bond servant or bond slave. And he's calling himself that. Basically, a hired servant to say, I'm a slave, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what he says. Of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the way he starts. And that's basically his greeting. Okay, He introduces himself, he tells you who he is, and this is all, the, all he's going to tell us right after that. He says, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Now, that's kind of an interesting phrase. I had to dig a little bit on that. And if you understand the Bible, you know, Israel is broken up into 12 tribes, okay? So most likely what we're learning here is this is basically made up of Jewish people, maybe Jewish Christians who are getting this letter, okay? And I'm sure there were some Gentiles in the mix as well, but this is probably primarily written to Jewish Christians, and that's the, why, that's the reason he's calling them 12 tribes. But we also find out they're in the dispersion, and that word actually means dispersed or scattered abroad. Okay, they were scattered abroad all over the region, and most people think because of persecution. But honestly, it also may have been, from the Lord's perspective, a way to get the gospel across the world by spreading his people out, and maybe even using the means of persecution to get that done. So he says to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, so what you have to picture is this letter being handed off from group and church to group and church. You know, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have Facebook, they couldn't do email. So this letter physically had to make its way through these different churches. And what would you say? What would James say? If you, could, if you could write a letter to people who are facing persecution and are scattered from one another, what's the first thing you would say? Well, he actually has a pretty good start. He says, count it all joy. I mean, right? That's, that's probably what you want to hear if you're scattered and dispersed because of persecution. Count it all joy, my brothers. It's a very tender term. When you, say, are prosperous, excuse my bad handwriting, when you're rich, when you have the ideal day, right? What are we expecting James to say? Blessed are you, count it all joy, brothers, 
when you're prosperous, when God smiles upon you, when God gives you great things. But we know that's not what he says, is it? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And as we're going to learn, trials means tests. Tests. Count it all joy when you face tests. Anyone feel that way when it's test day? Guys, test day, is that a good day? Jerry, you like tests? Okay. (laughs) I never liked tests. I always wanted to avoid test day. I was always joyful when the test day was over, no matter what score I got. But count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And it's interesting that trials are that way, isn't it? Sometimes they're financial. Sometimes they're physical. Sometimes they're spiritual. Sometimes it's spiritual attacks against you, as we talked about from 1 Peter chapter 3. But he says this, For you know that the testing of your faith, which we just found out that's what trials mean, the testing of your faith, what's it produce? Steadfastness. I don't know if that's a word you use. I don't use that word a lot. Steadfastness. So it's a word I decided to look up. And maybe you would guess at what steadfastness means, but I looked it up in the dictionary, and this is what the word steadfastness means. The quality of being resolutely or dutifully firm or unwavering. Think about that. The quality of being resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. Now if we go back to our text. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Unwavering. I've tried to find a picture of someone that would be showing steadfastness. We just had some storms in our country, and we got a little bit of that. But actually, in parts of Louisiana, they uh, they had really, really bad storms. And I just found this picture of this guy in the midst of a storm. I just thought, A, what's he doing there? And B, how is he doing that? But that's kind of the picture I picture when I picture of someone who's steadfast or unwavering. When there's a storm upon you, standing your ground, right? Here's maybe what we would all expect to do, though. Or maybe that's how we feel when life throws us trials, right? When trials come upon us, we feel more like this guy. If I'm honest, that's how I feel sometimes when trials come upon me. But James wants us to know, count it all joy. Why, James, why? Because trials produce an unwavering faith. Can you imagine having an unwavering faith? No matter what life threw at you, you stood your ground. You stood your course. You made progress even in the midst of that trial. It's pretty good. Okay, I can understand the logic of that being that's a good thing. And then he says, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, anyone there yet? perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I think we're all still headed that way, right? I don't think any of us can say we've arrived at perfection, completion, lacking in nothing. But James says that's where trials are going to take you. Who's the only one who can claim that? The Lord Jesus himself. So basically what he's saying is you're going to be like Jesus. And if this is, excuse me, if this is the brother of Jesus writing this, finally, right? He could be like his brother. (laughs) But that's interesting, that trials, we start at trials, and by the end of a couple sentences, we're perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. At least that's the goal. And James wants us to know, in the midst of trials, which these people are, trials have a goal to make you absolutely perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. Now, I don't really want to sign up for trials, but I want to sign up for that, don't you? I want to sign up for perfection and completion and lacking nothing. If someone would offer me that, I would say, yeah, I'd take that. And James says, well, I have a course. I have a journey for you that's going to get you there, but it's a journey of testing. It's a journey of trials. It's going to produce an unwavering faith, and that unwavering faith will make you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, of course, this is all based on the blood of Jesus, right? This isn't because of your ability to run the journey. It's because of your faith in the object of the Lord Jesus Christ. But an unwavering faith in Jesus makes every single person, eventually, perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. But that's a whole lot to chew on right there, isn't it? 
And I know you've heard this before, and I know you're probably not learning anything brand new here today, but this is what we need to understand about trials, that trials are a gift. Just like I said about the journey, the, the helper had a dilemma to either let us fail, because we already had, to watch us go down in, a, in flames, or to strengthen us, to get us prepared to run this journey, not just run it, but finish this journey, finish it well. But I want to notice what he says right here. This is so interesting. What else would you say after that? And I've heard this passage taken out of context, and it kind of can stand on its own, this next verse. But it's very powerful when you keep it in context. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, why would he say that? Because of this. He knows that's difficult. He knows that's difficult to understand and comprehend. And the next thing he says, if any of you lacks wisdom about what I just said, because it's obvious. If I polled the audience and said, how, how well have you done in the midst of trials in the past month or year, would we have a passing score? Would we be able to say, I stood my faith no matter what. I even made progress during the trial. I don't think I can. But James says, count it all joy because trials will produce in you perfection, just like your Lord Jesus. And if you lack wisdom during the process of that, let him ask God. Let him ask God. Isn't that a great thing to know? If you want wisdom, if you want to understand trials, if you're not getting it in the midst of the storm, who do you turn to? Who can you turn to? Turn to the one in charge. Turn to the one who's got his hand on the thermostat and say, Lord, I need your help. I need wisdom. And what will he do? He gives generously. Aren't you thankful for that, God? Not just gives you, but gives you generously. Maybe even more than you expect to find. Without reproach. Do you know what that word means? Disapproval. Without disapproval. If you're struggling in the midst of trials, in the midst of a storm, you can go to God, ask for wisdom, and he will give generously, and he will not look at you with disapproval. And that's what it says. And that's, that's a comfort to know that God understands when we're in the midst of trials because the Lord actually made this journey himself. He can not only sympathize, which means you're trying to understand someone in the situation, right? That's what sympathize means. You know what he actually can do? He can empathize. That means I've been there. I know exactly what you're going through, and I understand this is difficult. So when you come to the Lord in the midst of trials and say, Lord, man, I'm struggling. I don't get this. I don't know why I'm going through this. I don't really understand the process. I need your wisdom. God will go, I know. I know you do. And I will give it generously, and I will not look at you with disapproval. And it will be given him. Wisdom will be. Now notice it doesn't say the trial will be taken away. It's not what it says. Lord, I'm, dis I'm uncomfortable here. This is not fun. This is painful. Can you do something about this trial? The Lord goes, sure. Let me calm the waters. Let me make your life ideal again. You know, no boo-boos. Let me go back to when everything is you know, smooth sailing and calm waters. It's not what he says. He says, I'll give you wisdom. I'll give you the wisdom that you need to endure the trial, to stay steadfast in the midst of the trial. And to me, that's comfort to know that I have to go through the trial because the trial's producing something good in me. I can't avoid the trial, but I can find divine help in the midst of the trial from my God. Again, maybe we feel like this in the midst of trials, but look what it says in verse 6, though. And this is regard to what he just said, okay? But when you go to God for wisdom, let him ask in faith with no doubting. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, what is he talking about? You just told me, God, you were not going to look at me with disapproval. And now you're telling me that if I ask for wisdom, but I ask with doubt, I'm not going to get anything? And he says, that's right. Because it's a difference between struggling with understanding trials, which we all do, and doubting that God is there. 
doubting that God loves you. Doubting that God can and will help you. Those are two different things. He says in the first one, I will give you generous wisdom. I will give it to you without disapproval. But when you come to me for that wisdom, ask in faith. Because the most heinous thing to God is when we question, does he exist or does he love me? To God, I believe that's the most hurtful thing we can ever question in our minds. Do you exist and do you love me? And God says, according through the mouth of James here, we shouldn't expect to receive anything. Or maybe the better way to say it is, God will not reward this. God will not reward someone coming to him with a lack of faith in who he is or what he's able to do or his love for us. And James says, don't come to God that way. I understand if you need wisdom in the midst of trials. We all do. We all struggle with trials. But we should all know by now he's there. He exists. And he spilled his blood for us. Does he love us? Does he want to help us? Does he want to help us finish our journey? Imagine what the Lord has invested into us to get us on this journey and then through this journey. The worst thing we can do is ask God, do you care? Do you even care that I'm here? It says he's double-minded. Faith and no faith. Love and no love. You guys remember the old uh, villain Two-Face, right? That's kind of what we're dealing with here. I have faith. I love God. Oh, life hurts. God doesn't exist. Oh, God loves me. God, you're all I need. We just sang about it. And then God throws something a little bit challenging in our way and go, God, do you even love me? God is not going to reward that kind of behavior. And he wants us to know it. And if that's what we're struggling with, and we got some real hardcore questions to ask before we even get back on the path. Because the path is about faith. That's what it's about. And God, of course, can help us sort that out, but he wants us to ask in faith when we come for wisdom. And this is what he says. We're going to move quickly through this part, but verse 9 says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. That's one of the strangest passages I've ever come across. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. What? Lowly and exaltation. I think the better way to read this verse is let the lowly brother boast in the assurance of his one-day exaltation. One day, although lowly, trials take you low in life, do they not? One day, you will be exalted. Why? Because our Lord was exalted. Our Lord faced trials. Our Lord faced hardships more than anyone could ever say. But where is he today? In heaven, on his throne, seated forever at the right hand of God. And we follow him. He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. One is up. Get the rich up here. We got the lowly down here. The lowly brother is supposed to boast in the fact that he's going to be exalted, but the rich man is supposed to understand that he's going to be assured of one day being humiliated. The lowly, let's use a different color here, We'll go up. The rich will go down. Now, what I don't think this means is you can't have money and be a Christian. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think generally speaking in the Christian life, when you follow Jesus Christ, you have less. Less than the world. Less than what's common. You have to give up things. You have to renounce things. When trials come into your life, what do they do? They take you lower. They make your life harder, more difficult, and they take you down. The rich, though, on the other hand, they can have what they want. They can do what they want. They're high. They're living mighty. And James says one day it's going to flip. The lowly will go up, and the rich will go down. In fact, the rich will, like a flower of the grass, pass away. It's glorious. It's great to look at, but in a matter of a couple weeks, it's dead. It's no longer there. The sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Why are you telling this to us, James? Because you're lowly. And right now it's probably very easy to go, man, I wish I was like that guy. 
I wish I didn't have these trials. I wish I could be lofty and exalted like they are. I wish I could have comforts and ease. And James says, you will. One day you will. In fact, when it happens, it will never go away. And it will be so much better than everyone, what the rich have here in America or in the world. But the rich, those who don't have Christ, those who follow their own whims and their own desires, will fade away. Their beauty will perish in the midst of their pursuits. And then our last verse. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. There's that word again. Immovable or unwavering. Under trial for when he has stood the test, and we have to stand the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Hebrews 11 says this about faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. You know what a good picture of faith is? Daniel. Daniel the lion's den. Guys, that's a good picture for trials. Trials look ferocious. Trials look scary. Trials have fangs and have teeth and have claws. They look like they're there to harm us. And James is saying, stand. Steadfast. Immovable. Unwavering. Because those trials are not sent to kill you. On the contrary, they're sent to strengthen you. So that one day, which maybe we can't right now, one day we will be like this. In the midst of trials, we will stand our ground and we will say, I know what God is doing. I trust what God is doing. And I believe. I still believe God. Isn't that one of the most amazing stories? How did Daniel do that? Stood his ground in the midst of something really scary. And then James says, if and when you stand your ground, and you will because God is going to strengthen you with little versions of these trials. When you're able to stand your ground and beat the devil, you're going to receive the crown of life, which maybe it's a literal crown, maybe. But it's called the crown of life. It could just be life. Eternal life. One day you will receive your reward for finishing the journey, and that reward will last forever. Is there anything else that lasts forever? No. Only our lives with God and our reward for following Jesus to the end. Now let's go back to the other screen here. Let's finish our, the, our lesson with some application points. To recap, number one, trials are given to us to help us be spiritually fit, okay? It's like going into the spiritual gym. God is bringing us into the spiritual gym to get us fit, to get us strong, to be able to stand our ground. And he has to mature us. The Lord has to mature us. Now, the Lord could just expect us to obey his teachings, right? Here's my teachings. Finish the journey on your own. Get it done. He could do that. But he has invested in us. The Lord has invested in us. And he's going to see his plan through. And guys, he loves us. The Lord loves us tremendously. And doesn't love mean sometimes allowing unpleasant things to happen to people that you care about for the sake of something much, much better? If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Doctor's visits and shots and things like that, sometimes those are unpleasant to go through as a parent. But you're trying to take care of your child for the better good. Sometimes even discipline is that way. You have to discipline your child for the greater good. It's not pleasant and comfortable at the time, but it's for something much, much greater. See, the Lord is willing to, willing to give us that hard love because he's unwilling to let us fall short of being with him forever. Aren't you glad that he's unwilling to let us fall short of being with him forever? Amen. Number two, if we can change our view on trials, we can actually be happier, peaceful people on the earth. We can actually do what James says, count it all joy when we meet trials. Instead of waiting for the next bad thing to happen, like spiritual Eeyores. Remember Eeyore, the character from Winnie the Pooh? Oh, my tail fell off. I heard it's going to rain today. You know? Guys, remember Eeyore? I, I feel like some of us are spiritual versions of Eeyore going, oh, what's the next thing? 2020 kind of sucks. What's 2021 going to hold? It's going to be worse. Instead of going, God, you're working me. Thank you for working on me. Because if you don't work on me, I don't make it. And we can actually change our perspective on trials by knowing that God is preparing us for eternal life with him. So not only can we endure these trials, but we can look at the storm. We can see through the storm 
And we can see the destination just behind the storm. And we can thank God for that. Because what good is it if we come 98, 99% and then we fall away at the end? It's not good. I mean, watch any sporting event. Is it good if you would play three and a half quarters well in the last quarter or the last half of the quarter you don't play well? It doesn't matter. You lose. So we not only need to run this journey, we need to finish this journey. Now I'm going to finish here with an illustration. My son is going to come up here and help me. Cadden, come on up. Uh, this is something we practiced, okay? So just it's all part of the show. I use Haddon quite a bit for illustrations. Now, Haddon, this is what I want you to do, okay? We're not going to get hurt here today. That's the goal, but maybe. Uh, Haddon, your goal is very simple, okay? I'm a lot bigger and stronger than you are, even though you're a pretty strong kid. I need you to push me off the stage, okay? Now, what I'm going to do is I'm, a- I'm actually going to give Haddon my strongest version of myself to see if he can push me off the stage, okay? You do what you have to, but you get me off that stage. Are you ready? Okay, go. Push. strongest version of daddy, okay? Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually give you levels to work up to, okay? I'm going to start at number one, and we're going to work up to number ten. Okay, now I want you to push me off the stage, but I'm going to give you my first level of strength. We'll see if you can do it, okay? Whenever you're ready. Okay, good job. Level one complete. How about level two? Let's give you a little bit more strength. See if you can push me off the stage. Okay, good job. Doing well. We did this at home. Uh, Level three. You ready for this? Go. Okay, good job. Level four. We're getting close. Go ahead, buddy. (laughs) Good job. Level five. Okay, they're getting tougher. You ready? Level six. All right, now they're going to get really hard. You ready for this? Level seven. to go. Are you ready for level eight? Level eight, go ahead. All right, two more to go. Level nine. Now they're going to get really hard, okay? Level nine, whenever you're ready. Okay, one level to go. Think you can do it? I'm going to get my strongest now. Level 10, go. Good job, Had You can take a seat. Now, we did this at home, so I hadn't had a couple practices, but the illustration is simple. It's a little childish. I understand that, but I have children, so work with me. Um, here's the point. is God is takes, taking us through levels, okay? That's kind of what trials are, is God is taking us through levels. Now, he knows if he gave us the toughest level right now, which is defeating the devil in his full strength, where there's no way we could do it. So he gives us levels. He gives us smaller versions of that to work up to so that we get stronger and more mature so that God can actually throw harder things at us because we not only have to run this race, we have to finish this race. No matter how long and tedious our journey is, we have to complete our race. Number three, when we struggle seeing trials the way God intends us to, he wants us to know that he's available during the storm. You're not in the storm alone. God's with you in the midst of the storm. We can draw unto him for wisdom to see trials differently, but we can also even be thankful that he's working in our lives. But don't come to God with doubts, okay? Don't come to God with doubts that he loves you or that he exists. God's not going to reward that kind of behavior. How can we say to God, do you not care for me? Do you not love me? Why would you make life so hard? Maybe you're not even there, God. I want you to take a long look at your Lord today. Hasn't he loved you with everything? I think that's what James is trying to say in a glorified way. Hasn't God loved you with everything? Trials are still his love. I know they hurt. I know they're uncomfortable. But God is working on you. And if he didn't work on you, he wouldn't love you. If he is working on you, that is evidence of his love. 
This is God's process. Trust Him. Thank Him during the process. Number four, when trials seem to take us lower in life, and they will, we should find encouragement from these two things, okay? Number one is that Jesus was the lowest person who ever lived upon the earth. No one was lower than Jesus. No one. No one suffered more. No one was brought lower than Jesus. From heaven to a servant of man. And you're in very good company. If you're low, you're in very good company with your Lord Jesus. And number two, the lowly are in the best position to one day be exalted in eternity. Because it says later on in James, humble yourselves before the Lord and what will he do? He will exalt you. Jesus went from the tomb to the throne. And we follow him. God is taking us low right now, but his plan, his goal is to take us high one day and for that to be permanent. And number five, Jesus went before us. He paved the way. Aren't you glad Jesus not only says, hey, I'm going to help you in the midst of this trial. He could say to you, I've been there and I'm going to help you in the midst of this trial because I've been there. I'm going to give you a trail of footprints to follow. Okay. I'm going to give you warning signs along the way. All right. I'm going to give you packages of supplies along the way, and I'm going to provide divine aid from heaven while you're on your journey. You don't need to fear. You don't need to be worried. You don't need to be anxious. The Lord wants us to make our destination more than we do. We simply need to trust and obey. I hope this can all tell us today that trials are a gift. That's what James is trying to tell us. Trials are a gift. Without these trials, just like my little illustration with my son, you can't beat the devil. Without these trials, without these tests, you cannot be strong enough to finish your journey. None of us. And God knows that. So he's going to do what's necessary to give us tests so that we get stronger, so that we can stand our ground, so we can finish our journey, so we can be with him forever. And James says, count it all joy, not because trials feel good, but because trials are God's process of taking you with him forever. See, this is a journey of testing, but really it's a journey of love, if we see it properly. The Lord loves us enough to not let us perish. Let us love him enough to trust, to obey, to stand our ground, and to press forward to be with him forever. Would you pray with me? Father, I know this is long and it's deep, And I know we just scratched the surface, but I thank you for what James has taught us today. That trials are a gift um, of your love to us. You are continuing that love. It says in Philippians, he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. You're still investing in us today. And I pray that you'd help us understand that. And we look at the hard things of life. And it says trials of various kinds. And they are varied and they're vast. But I know what you're doing is you're strengthening us to finish this journey because you want us with you forever. Help us to thank you and praise you and trust in you in the midst of these storms, which 2020 are throwing a lot at us. Father, there are ample opportunities to trust, obey, and love you. Thank you for this opening to the book of James. We pray that you'd be with us along the way. And we give you all glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.